Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcasts delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me today on this very special edition of Half the Battle is none other than the first Afghan fighter in UFC history. I'm talking about UFC welterweight CR the Great, Bahar Durzada. CR, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Daniel. Um, uh, first of all, uh, explain to me uh, what is what do you guys do in a, on a podcast, on a Half the Battle. Tell me something more about you guys first. Well, we want to talk to you in depth and ask you the questions that no one's asked you before, so... I'm I'm very excited to have you on the show right here right now on Half the Battle. So thank you very much for your time, CR. Thanks, man. I'm down for the questions to answer that nobody has ever asked me. I'm I'm curious what questions uh, they are. So let's go, man. <laughs> well, let's start with the basics. So you know, obviously, you've been a champion since the day you were born. So is fighting fun for you? And the real reason I ask is because you've been through so much starting from birth that fighting in a cage doesn't even seem like that big of a deal. So what does it mean for you to step inside the octagon? Uh, you know, stepping inside the octagon it has, uh, has a meaning, has a purpose. And uh, I've been doing it since day one. I had, you know, when 9-11 happened, do you remember that? Do you recall that? 9-11? That's one of those events where I'll always remember where I was when it happened, CR. Exactly. So nobody forgets that. When 9-11 happened, Afghanistan got a shitstorm of negative attention from media. Afghan people did. Afghanistan did. And anything that was related to Afghanistan got a lot of negative attention. And... Ever since, I was just starting into MMA. I was getting started in MMA. And when I saw all the negative press, because only Afghans inside Afghanistan and outside Afghanistan know that all the negative media that were talking about Afghanistan had actually nothing to do with Afghanistan and Afghan people. Like Osama bin Laden was not even an Afghan. But he was located in Afghanistan, that's for sure. But, I mean, well... Now everybody knows where he was from and what happened all these years later. But actually, that drive drove me to fight for Afghanistan, for a positive name of Afghanistan. Not just people talking about um, uh, negative things like um, suicide bombers or terrorism. I I just wanted to be a, a, a fresh, a fresh start for Afghanistan in an athletic way, in, a, in a, being an athlete, because we also never had a, an, a, an accomplished athlete at the world level or at the UC level to uh, represent Afghanistan. And I am honored to be the first ever Afghan that has won titles in MMA and that has arrived uh, as far as in the UFC. I'm just honored to represent my country, Afghanistan. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually just mentioned a couple things that I wanted to talk about. You know, you talk about wanting to be the guy that brings a positive light to Afghanistan. You know, oftentimes, like you mentioned, the media does do a really bad job of casting a negative light on those places, Afghanistan included. So it's good to see guys like yourself being a positive role model for younger children, letting them know that they can be something when they grow up. So just talk about your influence in the Afghan community. Um, I am a pioneer for Afghans, and nothing can change that, and nothing can take that away from me. Um, when I started putting Afghan flag on my shoulders, 
you know, like in 2001 and 9-11 and after 2001, people were throwing stuff at you if you were from Afghanistan in the crowd. Like, they absolutely hated you. But I never ceased to raise that flag with pride, to raise that flag with, uh, with a lot of honor. Because I knew what Afghanistan is, and I knew as an Afghan that all those sayings, man, neg- negative press sales. And that's exactly what media did, to make Afghanistan dark in the eyes of the world. And they just needed somebody to point finger and say, those are the terrorists. And unfortunately, they, they pointed at Afghanistan. But I wanted to change that picture, and I slowly uh, started working on it. And people who were not fighting under Afghan flag, but they were Afghans, they also needed uh, somebody to look at and say, hey, wait, he's also fighting for Afghanistan. Why shouldn't I fight for Afghanistan? Even those people who were fighting under other flags, uh, they also started fighting under Afghan flag. And once they saw how Afghan people liked them and gave them attention, they never uh, fought under another flag. They started fighting for Afga- Afghanistan under Afghan flag. And that was a change that I brought as an athlete an athlete in an athletic scene and a sports scene of Afghanistan. I was the one who brought this change and nobody can take that away from me. And I'm very honored to be the one who inspired thousands of fighters like me after I'm gone, who will fight for Afghanistan and there will be champions out of Afghanistan. I guarantee you that. Yeah, and absolutely, no matter what happens, even if you were to retire today, you will go down in history as the first ever Afghan fighter to step inside the UFC's octagon. Now, CR, I want to talk to you about your mentality, because you obviously have been through a lot, starting from day one, and now you're in the UFC doing big things. So, you know, I want to know, you've been around danger your whole life. At what point did it become normal for you, this kind of excitement, this thrill for the chase? Uh, actually, uh, it always was normal. I had never seen anything better than that. So for me, outside coming outside of Afghanistan is when I realized, okay, wait, this was not normal. So when I was in Afghanistan, I didn't think this was not normal. I thought it was a day-to-day thing, and it happens. I I remember as a little kid um, uh, walking over over people, dead people, and dead body parts of people lying on the street and running for my life because the war. Uh, broke loose on the streets from street to street fights. And uh, I never thought that these things aren't normal because that was happening all the time. And years later, when I uh, when I came to Holland and looked back, I was like, wait, life can be different. That was not normal. But that's something that, that when you see, and it changes you. It actually... Uh, makes you look the life from another perspective. And I've seen it from both perspectives. And I appreciate the negative things that I've been through because that has made me the type of man and hardworking athlete that I am today. And But I also appreciate the things that I have seen in Holland and been through in Holland because that's the piece that I never knew and the type of life that I never was exposed to. And that's why I'm very grateful to Holland as well. Holland is my second country. Afghanistan will always be my number one because that's where, I, that's where I'm born, and that's where I will end up when I die. But Holland, I'm very, very thankful to Holland as well. 
Yeah, the Netherlands is a great place indeed. I've actually been there myself. Now, CR, I watched a video with you where you were at the beach and it was very heavy winds, it was double red flags, and you decided to swim to the middle of the ocean. Now, tell us right here, right now, live on Half the Battle, where does this mentality come from? How can someone go about <laughs> trying to be fearless like CR the Great? Man, I have, um, I have a love-hate relationship with... Uh with uh, adrenaline and and I, I just it's just anything that's dangerous it attracts me for some strange reason and uh, when, when I was in Afghanistan I had the thrill of uh, I got that thrill by by the war that broke loose in Afghanistan you know running for our lives and being at home being scared that a rocket will fall in our house in just a few moments because there was war and we were in the center of the of that war um, but actually that kind of excitement was built into my system and when I don't have it, I miss it, but I have to look in other things to get that kind of excitement. And one of those things is when I was, when I was in South, South Florida, I knew that there were sharks swimming in the, in an area that I was swimming, especially eight o'clock in the evening before the sunset or early in the morning. And those were the times that I actually went to swim. Until one day a shark almost bit me, a tiger shark. It was this close that a tiger shark bit me. And then I thought, you know what? I don't want to die. I don't want to. I don't want to die. Like, hey, what happened to your to your friend or your or your or your son or your or your brother? He got he got eaten by a shark. I don't want to go down as somebody who got eaten by a shark. No. So that's when I decided. All right, maybe I shouldn't swim uh, with the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> And then I didn't swim anymore in the sea. And also with 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 the heavy heavy lightning and and winds and storms, I would just swim in the sea. And I love the waves fighting the fighting the water. It just it attracts me. Danger attracts me. Now, CR, real quick, tell me this story about a shark almost eating you. You said it was a tiger shark. It was a tiger shark, man. And I was this close. It was so, man, it just passed right by me. And I was like, all right, man, let's just walk out of the water. It's enough, enough swimming for the day. So, so I just got out of the water. And... So but it got, it got me the kind of thrill that I needed. For hours later, I had this adrenaline rush in my body. And it felt great, man. It felt like fighting. Yeah, man. So, I mean, did you just see a fin pass right by you or something? What, what exactly happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. Wow. That yeah. is crazy, man. So I heard an interview you did with my buddy Adam Hunter over at MMA Roasted, and you said that you you live for today. You don't even think about tomorrow. And I want to know, do you still carry that mindset with you every single day, CR? Yes, man. The only thing that I'm uh, thinking about is today, and there is no tomorrow because nobody can guarantee me a tomorrow. So why not live it up today and not worry about tomorrow? But anyways, whether you want it or don't want it, people like to plan things and people like to think about the future. And, uh, well, we all plan things and think about future, but we never know how, uh, how life, you know, how life goes. And I, I'm, now, now that I'm back, I do have plans for the future. And those plans is a lot of headache for, heavy, for welterweights in the UFC because uh, people judge you as your last fight. People think you're as good as your last fight. And you cannot judge people because they think, oh, maybe it's, it's over for him. Maybe that's how he is and that's how he's going to be for the rest of his life. But that's not. 
Man, I have, I have, I have so many knockouts in the first round. I have, I have electrified so many fans that my real fans, they, they always stick with me because they know that they are this close to a vicious knockout every time I fight. For sure, CR. Now, before we talk about what's next with you, I want to talk about your fighting style real quick. You know, it kind of reminds me in a way of Hickson Gracie meets Wanderlei Silva. You know, you don't waste any movement, but when you hit people, not only do they go down, but you smell blood and you swarm for the finish. So, CR, when did you first realize you had this kind of knockout power? Uh, I actually was a little kid when I when I sensed uh, when I knew I had a knockout power because I was fighting uh, kids. I didn't fight. I didn't look for fights with kids, but I never. I let anybody bully me, even if they were bigger and older. I just knocked them out. I just fought them and made them cry. Like I, when I was when I was five, six years old, I was I was I was uh, I was the boss in the street there, man. People would play by my rules, or they will not play with me. And from that from that age, I just knew that when I when I hit people, they they just cried. Guys cried, even a few years old, a few few years older than me. When I punched them, they just cried. And uh, once I started training, and I it didn't have, I didn't when I even when I knock people out, I don't throw punches to like knock them out. I graze them and they go down. I don't. I, I've never placed one hard shot in somebody's face yet in a fight because that I, I'm I'm pretty sure that will be devastating. Because every time I graze them, they just go down. If you see my fights, I graze them and they go down. But we'll see. Now I'll. Uh, now that I'm back, we'll have to. Uh, we have to wait and see a lot of beautiful knockouts in the future. For sure, and we can't wait. So you got the nickname "the Killer" from your grandfather because, as you mentioned, when you were younger, you'd get challenged to a lot of fights by much bigger guys, and then you'd go in there and wreck them. So give us an exclusive CR Bahar Durzada childhood street fight story right here, right now on Half the Battle. All right, man. All right. Uh, one of the stories. One of the stories. Okay. So um, back in the days when I was a little kid. Uh, we used to play with marbles. You know what it is? The round. Yeah, yeah. 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 We used to play with marbles as little kids. And uh, I would play marbles because, you know, going in the street and playing marbles, it could have been dangerous, you know, in the war. But I did go and play. And guys wouldn't, when I won, guys, older guys would say, no, you didn't win or uh, you didn't play the right, right by the rules. But I knew I'm a very, I'm a very righteous guy. I would never do somebody anything wrong unless they start. So I would say, no, man, I just won fair and square. You're going to give me my marbles. And they said, no, what are you going to do about it? There were like three of them, and they were older than me. So I said, you're going to give me my marbles or I will I'll, I'll fight you. And they were like, all right, man, so let's fight then for your marbles. And they started fighting me, and I got angry. And when I have this... Crazy, the crazy anger that when I get angry, most people, they uh, they fall or they do stupid things. But my anger, my emotion gets the best out of me. So I beat the hell out of three kids. Like I literally beat them down and they were, they were running away and I was running after them. And my grandpa saw me. He was coming from far away and he was uh, actually running so he could uh, stop those guys fighting me. 
But those guys, before he came, before he arrived, those guys ran away. And he grabbed me and kissed my face and said, you know what? You are a killer. That's what my grandfather said. And my grandfather was a very honorable man, man. He was, he's, um, I have gone after him, actually. Character-wise, man, that guy, he would never bow, bow his head down just in front of God, but nobody else. That's the kind of man he was. And actually, I um, took after my grandfather. Wow. And uh, CR, when this happened, how old were you? And was this in Afghanistan or in the Netherlands? It was in Afghanistan. I was five years old. But in the Netherlands, when I was in the Netherlands, I was 15 years old. I don't think there was anybody in my school or anywhere around me that wanted to fight me. Because I don't have that face that says, uh, that face that says I want trouble with this guy. Right. <laughs> and uh, I was actually pretty, I had a pretty nice time. I didn't. Some people did get in trouble with me because they wanted to fight me and they didn't get out of it without getting a beat down. But uh, mostly I was very quiet. Mm-hmm. I, I never fight actually. When I'm, I never fight. I, I just I don't like to fight on the street. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I get paid to fight and I can represent my, my country to fight. So why would I fight for free? Exactly. And that's one thing that I like to talk to a lot of people about. Go to a, a martial arts school and get disciplined. Don't go, don't go fight on the streets. Now, CR, I heard in an interview that everything you've been through has turned you, quote unquote, into this fierce animal. There is no mercy. There is no patience. Nothing. Everything that moves in front of me, I want to take it out as fast as possible and as hard as possible. Now, CR, you say there's no patience, but you're actually a very patient fighter. But as soon as you smell the blood you go for the kill. So just talk about how do you balance that killer instinct with still being a smart fighter inside the cage? The thing is, when I say I don't have any patience, is the moment the ring goes is that I'm looking for that knockout is till the moment I get it. Uh, everything I throw, is it, it's with bad intention. Now, whether it lands 100% or it just grazes you, it is thrown with bad intentions. And... Uh, I promise you, I do not waste anything when I'm in a, in a, in a ring or in a cage. Uh, everything I throw is to throw to, to hit you and just knock you out. So when you fought Derek Noble, uh, you had a rapper walk you out into the ring, and it was at the Glory World Series. Not a lot of guys get a badass walkout like that, and he was carrying the flag and everything. What language were they rapping in, first of all? There were Afghan guys uh, who were... Uh... Uh, rappers in Holland, and they were rapping uh, Dutch, okay. and they were pretty good. They were pretty good. They are pretty good. And I'm thinking to uh, do another one for my comeback, and they will they will make another rap song for me for the comeback. And I think that will be great. You should do that, man, because I was watching that fight, and, you know, your opponent, he walks out to the Karate Kid. Okay, cool. You know, a lot of people have walked out to that before, no big deal. But then you get walked out by two awesome rappers, and I'm like, Oh shit, your opponent must be feeling that heat, and then you obviously go on to win inside the distance. So yeah, when you make your comeback, CR, please bring the rap crew with you, man. (laughs) I'll make sure to do that, man. I'll make sure to do that. For sure. Now, you absolutely smoked John Alessio. What's it like when you're in the ring against another professional fighter, and he's literally breaking right in front of you? Uh, the thing was with John Alessio, I, I, my best friend, my friend in Diego, may his uh, soul rest in peace, he, um, he killed himself. He, he committed suicide. 
and I dedicated a fight to him. And it was a very, very emotional fight, as you can see at the end. I have an interview. And I dedicated that fight to him, and there was no way in hell that anybody could beat me in that fight because I was dedicating that fight to somebody that was so special to me. And it was like a, it was like a, and he helped me throughout my career without uh, expecting anything in return. And he'll always be my brother. I'll always love him, and he'll never die for me. He is, uh, he's, he's buried deep down in my soul, and he'll always be with me whenever I fight and whenever I train. And that's that. Wow, that's that's crazy, man. I didn't even know about that, but I, I noticed the ferocity and the intensity that you brought with you into that fight because that was a very spectacular performance. So, I mean, when you won that fight, what did it feel like? Uh, it was For me, it was just another fight, but because um, I had to win impressively. Because John Alessio, he told me that he was waiting on a UFC contract, that he would just come to Holland, beat me up, and fly back to U.S. and sign as the UFC contract. But then I said, man, you know what? I want to go to the UFC. So if, if the UFC contract is waiting for him, uh, if I beat him up, I might get that contract. So that's what I did, and that's what happened too. Nice, man. Now, I want to talk about something kind of interesting to me. So back at Sengoku 6... In the middleweight Grand Prix. Now, a lot of people, they know you as a UFC welterweight, but you were actually fighting at middleweight, and you went in there in the semifinal, and you took on a man that would later become one of your coaches. And I'm talking about George Santiago. Just talk about that experience real quick, man. Yeah, when I fought George Santiago, uh, George Santiago, first of all, I respect that guy so much. He's a great guy. He's a great coach at Black Zillions, and... He's just an awesome guy to hang around with. He's a very positive guy, very humble. And fighting him, uh, actually, he caught me with a heel hook. And it was an, it was an honor fighting that guy. He's a great guy. He, we became later friends in, in South Florida. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from him. And he even went to Japan with me to corner me in my UFC fight. Uh, I just I have nothing negative about the guy to say. He I I learned a lot from him in South Florida. I'll always respect the guy as my opponent. Anybody who stands and fights me, and fights me like a man, I'll I'll always respect him. Now, Cr, do you still train with the Black Zillions? Uh, I do not train with Black Zillions. Uh, I'm I, I do not live in South Florida anymore, and. Uh, yeah, we uh, we split with, with uh, on good terms uh, with my manager uh, Glenn Robinson and the team Black Zillions. I still respect them a lot, and uh, they always um, we have we, are, we have good relationship. They still say if I'm if I'm interested to train, the door is open. All the trainers we are in we are in contact, so that's fine. Everything is fine with them and with me. And uh, we had uh, we had some time we spent training and. Uh, things didn't go the way they wanted or I wanted, uh, so maybe um, I thought maybe it's better to split ways and try other things. And where are you training now, CR? Right now I'm training in DC, and I do not have a team here yet. But soon um, I might join a MMA team. Okay, so it's in the works. So we hope yes. to find out firsthand when you do. Just let us know, you know, who you end up training with because. Okay. We're very interested to see what's next for CR the Great, Bahar Derzadi. Now, I kind of want to go back a little bit. So, you were fighting in the Netherlands. Then, out of nowhere, you're fighting 
in Tokyo, Japan. What was that transition like, and how did you get signed to Shudo? Uh, I was fighting Shudo, and I was beating uh, all the contenders in Europe. But I didn't have, you know, when you're in another country, when we were in Holland, I didn't have passport. But when the, when when Japan contacted us to fight uh, for a Shuto title, uh, I went to the I went to the Dutch authorities to get a passport, a one-time passport, and fly to Japan to fight for the world title. And uh, I went through a lot of hardships, man. I went through a lot of hardships, and they wouldn't give me a passport. And I literally drove drove to them and tried to convince them, and they wouldn't give me. And I, I was at the point I was throwing everything. That was in front of me, and all of a sudden, somebody calls and says, "You know what? You're getting the passport. Go to Japan and fight." And it was it was destined because uh, I knew that if I fly to Japan, I'll win the belt, and that's what happened. I went to Japan and I literally destroyed the champion. I beat him up for three rounds so bad I didn't. Man, I broke my right hand in the first round, but I but I beat the the guy so bad that my hands were hurting for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you really have been through a lot of hardship, but all that hardship has led you to become the first ever Afghan fighter in UFC history. Now, when you knocked out Paulo Tiago, you hit him with a very interesting part of the hand. You know, my coach always used to tell me, if you hit him with your pinky and your ring finger, you'll break your hand. If you hit him with your middle finger and your index finger, you'll break his jaw. But you actually hit him, it looked like it was between the index finger and the thumb in a very interesting spot. And you actually mentioned it's kind of almost like a like a mix of a hook and an uppercut. It's kind of like a shovel. And you barely touched him, and he was out cold. And no one's ever knocked out Paulo Tiago like that. Just talk about what it was like knocking him out and the placement of your hand you knocked him out with. Uh-huh. Uh, to be honest with you, the Paulo Tiago fight was the only fight in my entire career that I had a normal training camp. I trained for the fight and I was ready and I was healthy. And expect to see a fighter like that in me every time I fit, every time I'm fit and I'm ready and I'm not injured. But even 10 days before the fight, I thought I broke my hand. But before that, I was supposed to fight Eric Silva for my UFC debut. And uh, I broke my hand, of course. And... I couldn't fight him, and with, when I was preparing for Paulo Tiago, I thought I broke my hand again. You know what? I said, I'm not going to the hospital. I don't want to find out if I've broken my hand. I'll just fight this guy and see what happens, and then I'll go to the hospital and find out if my hand is broken. So uh, the hard trainings were done, so I just kept in condition and uh, fought uh, Paulo Tiago, and I hit him with a, with a... And I expected him to come in like that because he was a judo guy. He was not a wrestler to shoot in uh, lower than that. So I expected him to come in like that, and I just—it was just uh, like an automatic clock in my head, and I just stepped back, and he walked into the punch, and that's what made the punch really, really hard because uh, some when people walk into the punches, uh, the effect of the punch gets like ten times more. Yeah. Now you brought up Eric Silva. You guys were originally supposed to fight. I'm going to ask you about that in just a second. But when you knocked out Paulo Tiago, your celebration was actually. I was like, wow, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. The way you uh, you stood over him, I thought that was very cool, man. Like It was just like you made it to the UFC finally. What did that moment mean for you, CR? Um, it was a special moment, man. After all the setbacks and all the 
years that all the shitstorm that I had with Strike Force and they wouldn't and bring me to U.S. to fight uh, in, in, a, in a Strike Force undercard, I had the chance to fight in a UFC main card. And coming to the main card and knocking out Paulo Thiago, who was a contender and soon fighting for the welterweight belt, to take him out the, in the way that I took him out, it was a special moment. And uh, it just happened naturally. When I knocked him out, I walked away, and then it struck me. I was like, I just knocked out Paulo Thiago. And I went and I posed over, over him, and that's what I'm going to do over every opponent that I knocked him out. I will just pose over their emotionless bodies, and I will just walk over them with no mercy. For sure. And to this day, no one has ever knocked out Paulo Tiago like that. Now, CR, you were originally scheduled to fight Eric Silva in Brazil, and that would have been such a great fight because at the time, both of you, you hadn't fought in the UFC yet, and you were both respective champions in your organizations. You know, him being the Jungle Fights welterweight champion, you being the Shudo middleweight champion. Is that a fight you still want in the future? And how do you see a potential matchup between yourself and Eric Silva going down? I would love to fight anybody in the welterweight division, and uh, Eric Silva is just a, another welterweight that I would like to fight. He is a, he's a spectacular fighter. He's a, he's a strong fighter, but he's strong in the first round, and uh, I am strong in the first round. So it will be a very explosive fight if I ever fight Eric Silva. It will be a very entertaining fight, and I'm looking forward to fight him in the future. Yes. For sure, man. Now, I want to talk to you about the two setbacks you had in the UFC. So, when you fought Kim, now, a lot of people, they don't give you the credit you deserve in that fight because your sprawl actually looked really damn good. It was just when he would transition and grab that upper upper body, that's when he was able to successfully take you down. But you actually really do have really good takedown defense, and a lot of people don't know about that. I mean, were you facing some kind of injury, or do you just, do you just look at that in the past? Um... You know, after the fight, when you lose a fight, it doesn't matter what you say. People will think you're making excuses. So I would rather not say what happened or what was the cause of that, the, the way that I fought. But, yeah, I, I lost a fight. And I lost a fight, but I was not defeated. For sure. It was not a defeat. I lost a fight. It was not a defeat. I didn't take it like a defeat. But uh, also with my second loss with John Howard, um, Three weeks out, I badly injured my both shoulders. I don't want to go in details. Uh, I just, in the last two fights that I've lost, all I can say is that I, first of all, I wasn't healthy. Second of all, I was not in shape, supposed to be. And taking both losses, I actually thought my 10%, my 10% is enough for any welterweight, and I can beat any welterweight with my 10%. And that's the belief that I have in my head before going to the octagon to fight them. And it happened in the past, and I have that, and it worked out. I, had, I fought with broken hand, I won the fights. I fought with injured ribs, I won the fights. And uh, in the UFC, I found out that it's a different level. It's the survivor of the fittest. And you can't just win with, with a hard, with a strong knockout punch. And that's what I found out the hard way. And hopefully for mistakes. But you at least took some serious learning lessons from those two fights, right? Yes, I did. I think uh, every missed slow connection, you didn't hear me. Yes, but I did. Every, we, we always learn from our, our mistakes. And I just don't want to, you know, when, when we make mistakes and come back and learn from it, 
this is also a lesson that I want to teach the little kids that look up to me in Afghanistan. Life is not about winning all the time. You will lose, and you will lose. After winning Polo Tiago fight, winning knockout of the night, and winning six fights, six welterweight fights, and fight by knockout in the first round, and one in the second round, and then come and fight in time, and then fall all the way, hit the bottom, rock bottom, and then come back and fight, and win again, if that happens, that's life lesson, my friend. And this is the life lesson I want to give those kids, that no matter what, no matter how, how hard I fight you, get your knees, there's always a way to stand back up and fight. And uh, this is, even with my defeat, I want, to, I want to show them a lesson that it's not over when you're defeated. There's always a way to stand back up and rise back to the top and uh, fight back. For sure. And another thing that people can take influence from is just the fact that even in those two losses, you fought with just heart. I mean, you weren't 100%, but you didn't want to quit. You didn't look for a way out. You didn't let the ref come in and stop. You were trying to fight the entire time. And I mean, that's the kind of heart you have. And a lot of kids can definitely look up to that kind of thing. Now, CR, what's the toughest fight you've ever had inside the ringer cage? Um, the toughest fight... Actually, what is tough, man? What is tough? I mean, when I fight, I don't think about quitting. It's just, just uh, my instinct. My instinct. Uh, I don't know. I don't care how and how much trouble I am. My instinct doesn't doesn't think about quitting. It's just fighting till 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 the end. And to answer your question, uh, I don't know what to say, man. I just, I think I just said that it's. Uh, it's just fighting or kill or be killed. Has there never been a fight where you're like, wow, this guy's really bringing it to me? Actually, there was uh, there was this one guy that I fought back uh, a long time ago in 2004. <laughs> he was a Russian guy, man. He was Dennis Durus. He uh, I looked up to him as a kickboxer and I fought him. And he was so strong. When I took him down from the bottom, he grabbed the back of my head and he punched my face. He almost knocked me out from from the bottom. Wow. That's how strong this guy was. And I was sick. Uh, I had fever and I had to cut a lot of weight in the sauna with fever. And I fought him. I, I won a decision, but I literally thought I was this close to dying when I fought him. And I think that's that's my toughest fight. Yeah, that's... That, that sounds like a very tough fight. Now, CR, what's the toughest fight you've had outside of the ring and cage? Uh, my both injuries that I had after, after I mean, during, during and after the John Howard fight, that was by far the, the hardest fight I've ever fought in my entire life. And coming back from, from, a, from a depression and from a, a tough loss like that, it, it was tough, man. It was a tough fight. But men, men are born to fight back. I'm not complaining about uh, the tough times that I've had. I'm, I'm actually grateful that I've had those tough times. And uh, it's, it's those, it's those uh, tough moments that actually builds you and makes you a man. It makes you stand on your own feet. It makes you look the world from a different perspective. You have seen the world from a, from a, from a bird perspective. And you fall on your knees and you see the world from a frog perspective. And you get to know your friends. And uh, you get to know your friends. You get to know your uh, enemies. And you get to know everybody who 
is there with you when you rise and when you fall, they disappear. Yes. It's a life lesson, man. It's, a, it's the best way to learn. Yeah, CR, my dad would always say, you find out who your true friends are in your time of need. That's correct, man. That's correct. You know, when, you, when you're a little kid, when you're a little kid and you fall and you hurt yourself, what do you do? You look up, you look for your parents, right? You look for your parents to come and help you up. But when you're older, it's different. When you fall, you look for friends. You look who's close. And, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of friends, my friend. I had a lot of friends. I had a ton of friends when I was in the rise. And after the fall, it uh, narrowed down to just, I could count with one hand. And that's great because those friends have always been close. Have all, those friends have always been close and they will always be close. They're, they're like family. But others, they can just, next time, they, next time I will win again. And I'll rise back to the top of welterweight division. I promise you that within three fights, I'll, I'll, I will electrify so many fans that they will not believe what they have missed all this time that I've been injured. But anyways, uh, talking is cheap, man. And, and now it's time to show. And I'm looking forward to my next fight. You can expect half of those people to come back and try to be your friend again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And... Uh, like I said, I'm just excited to fight again, and I will do all the fight, all the talking with my hands next time, and uh, I just can't wait. I just cannot wait to fight again. For sure. Now, CR, I noticed that you follow zero people on Twitter. You're you're truly a leader, huh? Um, actually, the thing is, people get uh, people who follow you, and they don't get a follow back. They um, they kind of feel offended. But if you don't follow anybody, they, they're like, okay, he's not following anyone. Um, that's the thing, man. As a leader, when you, when, you, when you lead, you do not look back who's following. If you worry too much about who follows you and who doesn't follow you, you're not a leader. A leader just leads and the right people will follow him. And the other people who don't follow him, they don't matter. People who do have the same mindset as, as you, they will follow you. They will follow you to anywhere you go. And if you know you're a good leader, you're a righteous leader, and you are the leader that you want to be, not the leader that people expect you to be, yeah, they will follow. If they don't follow, they're not, they're not, they're not supposed to be with you. Yeah, wise words from CR the Great, Bahadur Zada. Now, you've been through it all, man, from the streets of Afghanistan to the Netherlands to the Octagon. What's next for CR Bahadur Zada? Uh, next man I want to fight again and the UFC is going to give me a fight soon the opponent will be announced soon and uh, next for me is make a run for the, for the UFC welterweight title for sure man and we're expecting early 2016 uh, late 2015 early 2016 is that's what I'm expecting yes and uh, I can't wait